in regard to like this, this whole idea that the, the Bible title teaches us that in order for us to not get absorbed in negative choices and decisions, we have to strive to feel a sense of connection to Hashem. And uh, when we started thinking about this, it became a little bit difficult for us to imagine, well, what does it feel like? You know, even emotions, which aren't strong emotions, are hard to pick up. So if I, if I use as a reference point my um, a connection I have with someone else, a close friend, um, where I'm with them alone and I feel this deep sense of just being there and being connected, maybe that can serve as a reference point for me and my connection to Hashem, I suppose, if you know, you've know got a, a romantic relationship where you're really in love with this per- person and sitting with them and being with them is such a deep sense of connection. So maybe that's what I have to use. So we try to approximate that. Can perhaps think about approximating that through Tefillah and through focusing on being with the Borolam in our, in our Tefillah. But there's something... Perhaps um, m- more, yeah. Hello. Yeah, we good. Yeah, it's So there's something maybe more profound. Last last time on, on Thursday we ended up speaking about the three character traits and, and uh, right. Are we, are we done speaking about that or? Because you're saying we need to delve into what chesed leads to creativity. So that's okay, good. So now, now we we're onto that. We're onto that. So we we then went on to saying that there are three primary character traits of chesed, gvura, and ms, which were embodied by the the the, the avos, where you had Avram Avinu representing midas chesed, Yitzchak midas gvura, and Yaakov midas ms, and we as the children, the bonim of the Avais, we carry with us those character traits and each person may have a different dominant character trait. So some people may be dominated that their primary goal is chesed, others their primary goal is, not their primary goal, they're, 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 they're mover, the mover in their life. They get moved by people, by connecting. Other people get moved by self-discipline and um working with themselves, control, and other key people get moved by passion for for the truth and the reality. And each person has got a different um, way of activating himself based on his on his primary midah. So that's that's what we ended off um, by saying. But let's just go back to this. The overall theme is this idea of connection. And one of the ways of connecting with Ruby Midasa with Twila. Now Twila actually is midas agvura? That's a midah of of um, Yak of Yitzchok, that he represented avoda, the ability to give himself completely over, as he did in the Akedas Yitzchok, to give himself completely over to another. Which a tefillah is when we surrender our control over our lives and we recognize that there's a higher power guiding us. So the whole notion of tefillah is one of connection, where we stop the barrier that obstructs us and we're able to. Um, allow ourselves, surrender ourselves into the hands of Hashem. But it could be that chesed is a more primary way to work. And uh, I'll begin with exploring an idea by the Maharal, and he quotes a verse in Mishlei. And the verse in Mishlei says, 
Bechesed Uveemes Yechupar Avoy. That in Chesed and Emes, you can actually um, atone for a, for a chait, for a sin. So I don't want to use the word chait, and I want to, in order to understand this thing, Janafsa, I'll get you shortly, I just want to stay over this. This idea. So, in order to understand this, let's begin with the idea of what is chait, and and you know, simply speaking, the pasuk says, if I do chesed, it's going to act as an atonement for the things I've done wrong. Like, what in the world does that mean, and how in the world does that work? So, let's begin with a basic understanding of the spiritual nature of Torah. Torah is a um, is a way of articulating. Um, a, a plane of the universe that's not visible to our to, to our eyes, and it's not we can't sense it. So there's there's a spiritual universe which is very difficult for us to sense and to access. Um, and left up to our own devices in the state we are in now, which is we're very we're very distant and we're very uh, as it were physicalized. We, we, we have, the physical world speaks to us very strongly and the spiritual world in our standard being has a very weak voice. We don't hear the strong voice. It's not powerful. You know, when, when I hear something, a strong stimulation, even if you, if you take the, the evolution of entertainment and even within film in terms of the amount of visual stimulation that's required in the average movie today versus the average movie 20 years ago you'll see that the scenes are much quicker the the graphics are more overt the the stimulus for the physical keeps on being ratcheted up we're always upping the ante on the physical stimulus of um of the world we're in and as a result we um because the power of the, of the physical world is so overwhelming. So when you have an overstimulation in one area of your life, so it clouds and deafens the subtleties. Uh, just as much as if you're very used to eating a very sweet diet, you're eating lots and lots of sugar, and you taste something without the sugar, you're eating lots and lots of salt, and you taste something without salt, you, it tastes bland and tasteless. You can't pick up the taste. Stop eating sugar, stop eating salt, and then foods take on a completely different um, range of tastes. So your tongue actually becomes a great guide and analogy to picking up the subtleties of reality. So the more we overstimulate by physicality, and the more we get into physicality, the, the less we are stimulated, the less we hear, the less we sense, the less we feel the spiritual voice. So when we're speaking about, as the Balatanya does, the nature of uh, connection and decision-making, feeling this, feeling, feeling this, this bond to the Boyola, and we know it's hard for us to feel even an emotional bond very often if it's not an overtly strong one, uh, a spiritual one, we need assistance, we need help. Comes the Torah and says to me, we're going to give you a set of um a set of descriptions of life, not prescriptions of life, descriptions of life. How do I know that I'm in sync with the rhythm of the spiritual world? And the spiritual world is really at the core of the world of the universe. Everything that we experience in our physical senses is just a manifestation. Um, you know, we've said this many times before, but it's just such a great analogy. If I lift my watch up to the screen and I say to you, what's more real, the watch or the idea of the watch? Is it the idea of the watch which is more real or the watch itself? So many people initially say, well, it's the watch. I can touch it, I can feel it, I can, I can hear it. 
But in truth, the watch is a perishable item. If you're measuring reality as something which has a lasting permanence, so the watch is very not real, because I can smash the watch. Whereas the idea of the watch and the watchmaker's head is way, way more permanent, because you can just regenerate a new watch given the materials. So really, this watch is not, is not the essence of the watch. It's just a manifestation. The essence of the watch is the idea that created it. You can call that the soul of the watch or even bordering on the spirituality of the watch, but not really that. And I'll explain to you what. So you've got the watch. The watch is tangible. You can feel it. You can touch it. But really, each part of the watch was an idea and it had to be conceived of in the head of a person and then brought into reality, the physical reality, through design and through manufacture. But once the watch is destroyed, you can just remake it. You can make it in a thousand years' time. You can make it um, across the seas. The idea is not a perishable item. So the idea is the essence of the watch. That's the essence. The actual physical form is just the clothing of that idea. That is a notion of spirituality being reality. And that anything which is physical is in fact it's, it's, it's a very diluted form. It's just an example of a higher, a higher plane. So that higher plane is not something that we intuitively relate to. We need to train ourselves to relate to it. But just like the idea of the watch is the core fundamental part, what the watch is, the idea of the world is the reality of the world. The soul of the world is the reality of the world. And the soul of the world is Kivyoch Hashem, which means when we see political events, when we see um, biology at its best, when we see the wonders of nature, that's just a manifestation of a spiritual idea. So, for example, the sunset in all its glory is a concept of the end of one period and the beginning of another. We use this example in describing Hashem's involvement in the miraculous exodus from Egypt. And it says that HaKadosh Baruch took them out um, with a strong hand. And Rashi uses this idea, he says, Yad Mamish, it was a real hand. So if Hashem was a real hand, but Hashem has no body, has no goof, what, what is this that I'm holding at the end of my arm? The answer is, this is the non-real hand. My hand is a non-real hand. The real hand is the power to manipulate. A miniature example of the power manipulation is the human hand, which can have a very low range of manipulation of things within reach. Hashem's hand is so powerful that it has no end of strength and it can reach from one side of the world to the other and it can manipulate things very subtle and manipulate things very great. It's a hand that can move universes. It's a hand that can move seas. That's the power of Hashem's hand. My hand is a small analogy to what Hashem's hand is. It's not the real thing. It's a small analogy. And that's true of everything in life. So the real world is a spiritual world. But the real world is hard to get to because we need to have guidelines because it's invisible and we can't smell it and touch it and hear it. So we really need to develop an approach to it. The way we develop approach it is through the understanding of Torah, which articulates the reality of the real world, which means as follows. When I'm aligned to Torah, I'm aligned to reality. So let's take, for example, um, Shabbos. So there's a reality. On Shabbos, the whole world changes. 
the world stops functioning in its normative sense on a spiritual level and it starts functioning on a very, very, very different plane. The energy is a very, very different energy. How am I meant to know that? If I'm a person that hasn't been educated, I'll go through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I think that's the order of the week. And I won't notice any difference between Saturday and Sunday unless there are cosmetic differences of stores being open or closed or work being less or more. But when I'm in the world of spirituality, I recognize that Shabbos is a whole different entity. It's a world in which the creative power of the individual is um, paused. And the nature of activity is held up whereby a person returns to a more essential state of being where he no longer has to activate, but he simply has to be. He doesn't have to do, he has to be. In that world of Shabbos, everything stops in the physical realm and the spiritual realm dominates. And therefore, all work that he's doing, it could be in the middle of a major business meeting, comes Close to Friday afternoon, he says goodbye to his business partners and he leaves because he acknowledges that the running of the world, the energy that's manifesting in the world is not his own doing, it's the doing of Hashem. He can't do anything really, it's all just an illusion. And we face the reality of the fact that we're only, um, it's a little bit like a guy who's driving in a, a truck and He's got his son sitting opposite, uh, alongside the driver's seat. His young son is nine years old, and he's made a steering wheel for his son in the front of the car so that his son also feels like he's driving this big truck. And his son sits there up, sits on the chair, and he's, he like plays around with his wheel. But of course, it's the father that's doing the real steering. But the son has an illusion that he's steering. So we have an illusion that we're doing stuff in this world. But really, the stuff is being done for us. So why do we have to um, go through the motions? Great question. But we're not really doing anything. We just we just like the son sitting next to his father, and we think we're steering the, the vehicle, but really it's being steered by a force much larger, larger than us. On Shabbos, we stop doing what we're doing because that's a demonstration demonstration of our faith that that's what's going on. Okay, that's that's just a build-up. Now, what would happen if a person is Mechalal Shabbos? What's, what's actually happening? So it means like this. When a person keeps Shabbos, which means he doesn't engage in creative, creative activity, he's in sync with the energy that he's not the creator. He's the creation. And he desists from activity which is creative on that day. He's aligning himself to that energy. What happened when a person's Mechalel Shabbos? So he's misaligning. The energy is there, but he's distorting the energy. And if you can imagine the energy and him being in sync as a single line. So when he misaligns himself, so he breaks the line. He goes off to the side, so he's no longer connected. He's no, no, no longer resonating. He's no longer in sync. That expression of being out of sync with the reality is called chait which is mistranslated as sin. Chait means misalignment, means that you're missing, you're missing the target. You're not aligned to, you're not resonating with the reality. That's an introduction to understand chesed. 
So now, if chait, it says be'emes of a chesed yechupa avain, that chesed, as well as emes, but let's discuss chesed first, atones for chait. Now, if you want to atone for chait, if chait is a misalignment, so how are you going to create a realignment? So it goes like this. What chesed means is I do something out of love. It's the stage beyond din. Din is when I do something because I'm required to do so. Chesed is when I do something because I'm not required to do so, I do it anyway. Classic example is you go to a luggage, uh, you go to the airport and you're traveling and you've got, you're overweight in your luggage. So there's Midas Adin and Midas Chesed. The Midas Adin is when there's um, no person. There's a machine that you weigh your luggage on. And if it's overweight, the machine goes bing, 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 and you have to take out luggage. There's no discussion. Because when there's Midas Adin, there's no relationship. Similarly, if it would be a person who wouldn't bend the rules in any way at the counter, and he says, listen, you 500 grams over, I can't let you on. Chesed is lifting Mishra Zadin. It's when there's a relationship, there's love. So you go to the person and you say, you know, you don't understand, I'm going back, I know I've got extra luggage, but I'm going for a, um, a long time, and um, I really don't have the money, I'm a student, I can't pay the extra overweight. And then the person at the desk can say, do you know what, forget about it. Just go on, I won't charge you. That's called Midas HaChesed. That means it's above the letter of the law. So now in, in Hebrew, the word uh, letter of the law, the expression letter of the law, is not said as a letter. It's really said as a line. Shuras Hadin, the line of the law. And when you when we discuss um, Chesed, the way we the way we discuss it is we we use expression lifnim mishura sadin, which means beyond the letter of the law. Lifnim mishura sadin means there's a shura sadin and I go without, in other words, I extend myself above the letter of the law. So if you imagine it like this, that the um, the law is is a line and lifting Mishra Sador means you go outside of the line. So now, the line is, re- is, is, is almost, um, the line is almost a, um, an analogy that we use to, to describe alignment. So a line is when I'm going straight, and normally when I'm parallel to the spiritual energy of the creation, so then I'm in line with it. That's the opposite of chait. But it's also the opposite of chesed. So being in line with the law is when I'm in sync with the spiritual world. Chesed goes off course. Chait goes off course. However, the course they go off is radically different. When chait goes off course, it leaves the line of connection reality and it dilutes the connection. It dispels the connection until a person remains further away from the spiritual world. When you do chesed, you become more connected to the spiritual world, even beyond the simple connection, which is called din. Din is a basic connection. Chesed is beyond the basic connection. So when you do chesed, you become more intimately connected to the spiritual world. When you do chesed, you become more diluted. Yes, Dovi. Um, 
سرو ورابیش بسمه لا فلسای ایداس خسر بس because against the Gregor Mirosetin I giving Sulopan Shabbos Okay, so we're going to have to figure out how we marry the, the, those different sugyas together. But let's just first of all talk about, in, in the most basic sense, Dovi, that we see now how actually chesed is a rectification for chet. Because chet in the broader sense is I'd misalign myself from the spiritual I dilute my connection. And chesed is I reconnect in a more intense fashion. So the din requires me, I'll give an example. A guy phoned me up last night and he said to me, do I have the phone number of this guy in South Africa? So I said to him, uh, phone me back in two hours and I'll try to get it. So now, I don't owe this guy anything. There's no reason why I have to do this. I could say to him, I don't have the number. Sorry, goodbye. I went beyond and I said to him, listen, I care about you. I'm going to care about you. So I'm going to find the phone number. So I messaged the person that had his phone number and he sent me the phone number back. I then did more beyond the letter of the law and I phoned him and I said to him, listen, I've got the number and I gave him the number. There's no reason why I was required to do that. Correct? That's called chesed. Meaning I did, him, I did something to him. Now, what happens when I do that? So in the human in the human sphere, it means I become more connected to him. And let me just now go on a segue to discuss the nature of connection. Okay? Because I think that's an important preface. So if you want to just mute yourselves, so I, uh, I can go into the idea of connection. Because there's actually interference from the, the other room. So now let's talk about this. In in and this is so basic. Um, it says that the world is a world of chesed that even though it's definitely Shuras Adin it's the only thing that makes the world work um, so now it's the only thing that makes the world work there's an idea in psychology which is spoken about a lot which is called narcissism narcissism is the person's inability to see the reality from the perspective of another and his entire focus of reality is how it affects him, either how much pleasure it gives him or how much fear it puts inside of him. So, for example, the narcissistic person, when he goes to a lunch table, he doesn't think about um, all the people in the room and if they are getting the food that they need. He thinks about how can I get the food that I need? And when he sees a person taking a schnitzel, he doesn't see how that's going to nourish the person. He sees, will there be any left for me? So in that world, in the narcissistic world, you interpret everything only in as much as it relates to you. And every single person that crosses your orbit, his impact on your society. For example, you meet a guy and he says, hi, where are you from? I'm from San Diego. And they say, oh, I've got a cousin in San Diego, relating it to yourself. Or you say, you meet a guy and he says he's going to America. And you say, oh my gosh, brilliant. I'm going to order something over Amazon. You see his trip in, in, to America only as something that's serving you. So the narcissist, he looks at everything only in relation to himself, himself, himself. And therefore, if um, even in a very subtle sense, if you know, if a person sees someone sad, you may look at that person because him that that person being sad makes him upset. So he doesn't want that person to be sad. But also for him, that's much more subtle. So the narcissist has the inability to see the other. There's no other. There's only me. And my entire world is something that I conceive of in my head. And it does never go beyond that. So that's the ultimate disconnection. Chesed 
is a step out of narcissism. Chesed is when I leave my own subjective reality behind and I engage in the world of another and I see the world of another. So ironically, the starting part of Chesed is my capacity to see the other for who they are. Not the other through my eyes, the other for who they are. And the way we can start to work on this is by simply recognizing that whenever we see a person and we interpret the actions as unfavorable, wrong, displeasing, or any other negative connotation, that is an alarm bell telling me I'm narcissistic. For example, I'm sitting at the table and uh, someone in front of me, sitting opposite me, is slurping their food. So I say to myself, it's disgusting. How can they have such bad manners? Well, that's because in my world, I was taught that slurping your food is bad. But there are many other worlds. And in his world, slurping his food was never looked upon as bad or he decided it's not bad for him. So as long as I judge another, I'm a narcissist. I'm not seeing the other. If I would see the other, I would have to understand where he comes from, what's his background, why he slurps his food, and then I'd see him. And when you start to see the range of people and cultures there are in the world, there's actually nothing which can be described as right or wrong. It's just what people do. And just like you've got your own way of doing things, other people have got different ways of doing things. I remember seeing a video where it starts off by just sharing a, a, a um, cajoling voice of a mom. And she's saying, come Come a boy in a foreign language with subtitles, eat it, eat it, eat it nicely. And you think it's obviously a mother feeding its child. And when the camera focuses in, it shows a mother feeding its child little tadpoles. And they're like swimming around in the bowl. And she's like scooping the tadpoles and feeding into the kid's mouth. Now, for me, that's repulsive. I want to vomit when I see that. But for her, she was doing the motherly task of nourishing her child. Now, that disturbs me deeply. Why does it disturb me deeply? Because it's far from my world. What's my world? My world is my narcissistic creation that I was given in my subjective reality. As long as I look at my subjective reality as being relevant to others, I'm a narcissist and I see no other people in the world. So the first step of removing myself from the mind frame, which is the opposite to chesed, is seeing the world of another. And then that can extend to not only seeing the world of another, but reaching out and assisting them. Okay, that was a lot of uh, high-speed rhetoric. Um, Probably needs a lot of time to digest. Let me just maybe slow down a bit and ask if there are any questions. No? Yes. Go for it. Um, so you started off with talking about um, the different ways in which we relate to Hashem, basically through the Yud Gilmeis Um But there's also like different ways that we refer to Hashem in different shamas. And if we think about like our relationships, we may at different times of our lives or different circumstances that we're going through refer to. Hashem in a different way. Like during Rosh Hashanah, we think of Yidam Malkinu, but oftentimes, if um, I don't know, through Tefillah, we may also 
if you're particularly feeling like his presence in your life, you're also like considering him like your friend or your guide or your bonding. Like, so how do you how do you respond to a seven different ways through like what he's showing you? Okay, that's that's a great question. That's that's also a profound realization of these different angles and facets of our relationship with Hashem. Let, let's just. Um, it's going to, it's going to, it's actually going to be the point that we're going to need to work on because just like you're saying, Janowski, that step number one is, is, is creeping out of our selfish shell. And step number two is seeing the other. Step number three is seeing Hashem. And when we see Hashem, so then we can see the different facets and aspects of Hashem. So we're going to have to, that's like down the road. We have to explore that. But right now, not. I just kind of saw where you were going in advance. Thanks. Yeah, good. Okay, yes, Akiva. Um, how, do we, how do we balance um, that objective opinion of right and wrong when we, when we let's say, see a friend that's doing something like objectively wrong according to like tire? So then, then are we being, how do we like, differentiate between us being narcissists or me being a narcissist or me actually? Like doing an honor, the real test of like, how do you feel what, 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 what you're doing for? So that's a great question because you picked it up, right? See me what I was saying, kind of, well, how can you ever give a person rebuke? How can you ever judge a person when he's doing something which is openly an isodoraisa? How does it all fit in with this idea of subjectivity that everything everyone does is based on their own concept and the minute you judge, you're becoming narcissistic. No, you're not being narcissistic, you're just being from. Yes? Yeah. Um, so now, by accessing Torah, there's this thing which is, which if it's done right, it's elevating. If it's done wrong, it's um, self-destructive. So for example, you see you see someone being Michal Shabbos and you get really upset. And you say, like, how can you do that? It's so wrong. Um, and then I say to you, you know, do you realize that you're moving your pistachio, pistachio shells with your hands? You say, oh, yeah, it's not a big deal. So, so then that demonstrates that it's got nothing to do with Shabbos. It's got everything to do with you using your religion as a way of um, judging him and, 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 and that kind of um, using it as, as a way of perching yourself up on the pedestal so you can look down on him. If it would be Shabbat, in other words, that's really the bottom line. Is it Shabbat that's bothering you or it's him that's bothering you? And the only way that you can figure that out is if you are scrupulous in your Shabbat's observance and it means so, so, so much to you. So then it's Shabbat that you perturb by and not, and, and it's because you care about him that you want to do it and not because you're your Lord over him. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a, a rule of thumb. Yeah. Okay, so it's like lots of, lots of points. Um, well, we've got to go. Okay. Uh, it takes like a lot of time to get there. Correct. Okay, boys. So we'll end up for this today. Zagizund. Have a great yeah. day. Thank you. Thank you.